We're working on part five of a series to the praise of his glory, uh, continuing that today. And the title of today's talk is Help, Help from the Holy Spirit All Day Long. And we emphasize, don't we, the supernatural. We're not intimidated by or skeptical about signs and wonders. We, in childlike faith, expect them, and in childlike faith, receive them. We love testimonies about signs and wonders. We love the miraculous. We feel like human beings were wired to experience the supernatural. I think that's one of the reasons that the Harry Party, Harry Potter series, book series, and movie series was so popular was because the culture at large uh, gravitates towards this sort of this need for transcendence, the need for the supernatural. And as Christians, we fulfill it um, in Jesus, don't we? And there is a growing uh, experience of, uh, you know, in this postmodern age, it used to be that, in fact, I saw an archaic or, or a out-of-date bumper sticker the other day. It says, I believe in science. That's not what's going on now at the culture at large. The culture at large is postmodern. They, they, everything is under question. Everything is under, under, under doubt. And there's an, uh, an increase in witchcraft and in Satanism in the areas of the supernatural. But what we do is we acknowledge that there is very much the supernatural, but it's in Jesus. It's fully, fully in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, one of the things that, that we're learning, aren't we, is that it's not just going from one supernatural experience to the other, but that everything we do in Christian life requires the supernatural. It requires the supernatural to be kind to somebody. It requires the help of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? It's like every, everything. We need a helper. We need a comforter. We need an encourager. And don't you love it that in John chapter 5, the, the Greek word paracleta is used and to describe the Holy Spirit, define his identity, his identity, his work identity. Who are you, Holy Spirit? Well, I'm comforter. That's who I am. That's what I do for a living. I help the saints and I encourage them. I want to encourage them. I love to see people encouraged. Third person of Trinity is very busy in those positive experiences of comforting, helping, and encouraging. So always at it. And it, it really behooves us, it's incumbent upon us, to advantage ourselves of this help. And uh, as you know, in this series, I mentioned to you that my personal, the biggest personal goal I have in my own life in Jesus for lots of years has been to do better at living for the praise of his glory. And in Ephesians chapter 1, the phrase is used three times. That's why we're focusing that as sort of an anchor point for us. But I am realizing that it's not easy to live for the praise of his glory all the time. It can be kind of turbulent. It can be kind of difficult. You can be on for a while, then off for a while. It's, 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 but you know what? I'm on a personal stubborn quest. My face is set like a flint towards Jerusalem, this Jerusalem, that I'm going to live for the praise of God's glory. And I'm going to drag as many people with me as I can. And uh, you want to come? Yeah. I think you do. Help from the Holy Spirit to live to the praise of God's glory. Ephesians 1, verse 11. 
our first talking point of four, going to talk around four talking points. The Holy Spirit helps us by sealing us. The Holy Spirit helps us by sealing us. Here's the verse. In him, that is Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. There is a lifestyle, not just do, but to be to the praise of his glory. Thought, word, and deed. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, notice the connection between believing and being sealed. Having believed, you were sealed. It takes faith to be sealed. But once you're sealed, it's awesome. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The sealing of which Paul speaks here refers to an official mark of ownership that was placed on a letter, a contract, or other important document. It's like a wax, hot wax on a document that the signet ring of the owner uh, put a signet ring into the wax to say, I own this. I don't know how you are relationally with family members or friends. But I remember a friend in eighth grade. I was new to a school, junior high school, and I was glad to have a friend. It's kind of tough to find new friends when you're junior high school and you just moved from another town. But I, friend, I found a friend named Lane Treasure. He had just moved there too. And we were, we were just buddies, but it would be sporadic. Sometimes, sometimes he would just be my best buddy at all. Other times it felt like he was betraying me and turning on me and criticizing me. And it just like, have you ever had a family member or friend that was kind of like surfacy that way? Kind of a friend sometimes, but then again, it's like, what is going on with you, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, today? You know, it's kind of a surface thing. I want you to know the Holy Spirit's not like that. I know we have a sense of sometimes the Spirit comes and then sometimes we don't feel so close to the Spirit. I said, sometimes we feel the Spirit come, sometimes we don't feel so close to the Spirit. But I want to tell you something. God is helping you to live for the praise of His glory by sealing you. Seal of ownership is on you. The Holy Spirit owns you. The Father owns you. Jesus Christ owns you. He has spoken life to your dead spirit when you believed. Later on in this book, the Apostle Paul writes these very sobering words. As for you, and if I'm looking at you and catching your eye, it's not personal. (laughs) As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that? The devil. Not too many of us were Satan worshipers, but man, we were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. My friends, it's sobering words, but the culture at large is demonized. The doctrine of demons pervades our world. This is soft language that Paul's even using, but it's, it's serious language. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you lived 
When you follow the ways of this world, the conventional wisdom of this world, you're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. And God did something for you. In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, regarding his own experience on that Damascus road, God said, let there be light. And there was light in my inner being. There is a Lazarus come forth to your name, to your experience. Your spirit, which is dead, you just didn't turn over a new leaf. You didn't just reform your life. No. God spoke to your dead. You can't make yourself alive. Have you ever seen a dead person? Can they make themselves alive? Only one person's ever done that. Jesus. But Jesus has come to you and spoken to your spirit and said, life. And your spirit, which is dead, came fully alive. Not a little bit, fully alive. And the Holy Spirit is intimately connected to your living, personal spirit. There's an intimate connection there. How do I know? Because Jesus himself said this. Out of your innermost being, out of your deepest spirit, will flow rivers of living water. By this he spake of the spirit. My friends, there is a parallel universe. It is the heaven realm. It is our greatest reality. We're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, where our affections are set on the things above. The angels are there. People that have gone before are there, the blood-bought ones. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit there. It's marked by love and joy and peace and bliss. But there's a portal to that realm. There is a portal to that realm from which the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says in the book of Revelation, is present continually before the throne of heaven. And I want you to know he stays there as he's working on this planet. That's how close the kingdom of heaven is to the planet. The Holy Spirit never leaves the throne room of God, but there now has been a portal established between the heaven realm and you. It's your own spirit. Life, come forth, regenerated, born again, born from above. And the Holy Spirit, like a river, flows from before the throne of God in through that portal of your own spirit into your body and into your soul and into your, to your spirit and into the atmosphere of the room, every room that you're in. You carry something. The rains came down with... Floods came up, and Noah's, uh, remember Noah's ark? The, the rains came, but also the fountains of the deep were broken up. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down, but there was also a flooding from within. Jesus prophesied. Amen. And you and I have a choice we can continually to make. We can keep trying to reform our old person and keep turning over new leaves, or we could recognize... We can respect the nudge of the Holy Spirit who's flooding us from within, our own spirits. We can live according to the resurrection life of our born-againness, our born-from-aboveness, the resurrection life of Jesus that's been established, sealed 
in our deepest soul and spirit. Something that he has done for you that he will never take back. And that spirit that floods into your body and soul and spirit from the heaven realm is a deposit guaranteeing, it's a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing what your destiny is. The glory of God is experienced in your, in your personal now, a taste of what's to come. Hallelujah. The invitation from this passage is for us to, is to stop trying to fix the old man. Live according to the new man. Live according to the new person. Jesus said the first will be last, the last will be first. Do you know if you've been born again for five seconds, you can do better than some people have been born again for 50 years. You can turn to your spirit. Your spirit man always wants, your spirit woman, <laughs> your spirit always, your spirit person, maybe I should say it that way, <laughs> always wants to do Jesus stuff. Always wants to do the right thing. But there is a, a, a need to respect the nudge, the Holy Spirit nudging our spirit, our minds, our thoughts, submitting every thought to the obedience of Christ is the ideal. We have the mind of Christ. Let's think with it. Let's use it. Second point. The Holy Spirit helps us, not by, just by sealing us. Oh, I just love that. Don't you love it? I, just, I think I, I want to preach on that even some more. I love being, I love that he put a seal of ownership on me. I love it that he's faithful, that outward relationships among brothers and sisters in Christ even, they can be unpredictable. But he is entirely predictably good. The Holy Spirit is entirely predictably good towards you. He's your comforter. He's your helper. He's your encourager. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the hope of glory within you. Secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us by connecting us with experiential glory all day long. Christian fundamentalism historically has focused so much on the theological reality of being regenerated that they've neglected the experience factor. And I want you to know that the realities of being regenerated, regeneration, being born again, being born from above, those realities are right and true, but they're designed to bring an experience of glory, the glory of God. When we live to the praise, oh, let's have to read the verse, <laughs> verse 13b. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What's coming is, in, is coming into our present. We're living in the presence of our future. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, say this after me, I am the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. To live to the praise of the glory of Jesus is to live to a destination, to live to an end game, 
to live to a final product. Eternally, that's the glory of eternal life. But it's also something that God gives us the ability to now. It's present tense. We live going to the praise of his glory. When we live to the praise of his glory, we get something. We get glory. His glory. I love how John Stott defines glory. The glory of God is the outward shining of his inner person. There's a vulnerability on the part of God saying, here is my inner person. Here's the fellowship of the Father and the Son of the Spirit. Here's the beauty of, here's the beauty of who I am that I'm reaching out and sharing with you. What will you do with it? I'll tell you what we'll do with it. We value it. We cherish it. It's the manifested presence of God, the felt presence of God, the tangible presence of God this outward shining of his inner person. We'll know it forever then, but we know it now in our present tense immediacy. They experienced in it in when um, Solomon built the temple and the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant into the whole holy place. And when they came through the curtain from the holy place, from the Ark of the Covenant, after ministering there for a bit, establishing that as the holiest of holy places in the new temple. As they opened the, as they opened the gate to come out, opened the curtain to come out, the glory of God flooded the whole temple, so much so that the priests could not minister. That was a moment in time. That was under the old covenant. Under the new covenant, you have access to the glory 24-7. There's, I've, I've, one of the great griefs of my heart as a leader is when people limit the experience of the Holy Spirit and his glory to meetings or special meetings. We put limitations by our templates of how God and expectations of how God works and how he must only work. When God's intense intention is for us to understand the depth of his generosity by understanding that the, the only limitation to us experiencing the glory in all that we do is our, is our lack of expectation that it could happen. We limit it to, wow, that happened back then. Oh, I wish the day of Pentecost would happen again. Oh, man, I wish the Zeus Street would happen again. Or, Toronto, I wish there would be another Toronto revival again. You know, when God says, I'm, I, I want, there, is no, there is no limit to the outpouring of glory that I, I, I can give you and want to give you if you'll, if you'll not stop it by your lack of faith, by your lack of trust. And it's all related to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will take from what is of mine in the heaven realm and make it known and declared. Not just with words, but with, you know, Jesus himself is a declaration. The presence of Jesus takes from what is of the heaven realm and imparts to us in our present moment in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Having believed, oh, Jesus, sorry, Paul and Jesus both refer to the Holy Spirit doing this 
with the phrase, the spirit of promise. We just read that the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance. In other words, God promised it. It's true. It happened. It's coming and it's going to keep coming. And Jesus does the same thing. He says 25 years earlier than Paul's writing in Luke 24, uh, 49, Behold, I send, I'm going to send you the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually, for 10 days, we know if you just do the math on the difference between Passover and Day of Pentecost, and 40 days revelation of the resurrected Jesus. These 10 days, they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And Luke says, amen, baby. That was a good, good 10 days. Their experience when the promised spirit came, we read it, and sometimes when you read something, you read a story about World War I, and it's just like, you, you, or World War II, it's like, well, you sort of, that had to happen. And you read, you read something wonderful, like the day of Pentecost, and it, it can just, it kind of just be like burning over the ground again. But, you know, this really happened to some 120 people for the first time. This really happened to the, to the 11, where Jesus blessed them, Jesus was always doing stuff that was unpredictable and scary and different and surprising. Like rising from the dead. But as he's stretching out his hands and he's declaring a blessing over them and they probably have their hands up just receiving a blessing. All of a sudden he levitates. <laughs> They've seen him do lots of stuff before, but they've never seen him levitate. (laughs) And then he just disappeared into the heaven realm. And they stared. And then they worshipped, and they didn't stop worship. And on the day of Pentecost, the glory came. Spirit came. A fire came in. First of all, a wind came into the room, a mighty wind. And these guys were not dumb theologically. They were well aware that when Moses delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, were in a tough spot, they needed to get out. What was it that made the sea part? A mighty wind. They knew they were experiencing a new exodus out of the bondage of Egypt and there was a land of milk and honey coming. They knew it. They knew this wind was a symbol and a sign of God. And then the fire came into the room. One, one big fireball comes into the room. They knew exactly theologically what was happening. Fire on Mount Sinai. Fire at the burning bush when God's presence was there and spoke. Fire, pillar of fire by night. Fire, presence of God. They knew. And then it separated and landed on each one. And oh my gosh, it's not just the fireball up there, it's in me. It's deep in me. And the glory of God came and the happiness came and the joy came. God wants us to be hungry for the glory. 
The best way to get hungry for the glory is to taste it, to ask for it, to seek it, to praise God, to live for the praise of his glory and then enjoy the glory. Will you do that with me? Enjoy the glory. The Holy Spirit helps us by stirring us to continually praise God. This is a surprising one, this number three. The third thing that the Holy Spirit helps us to do to live for the praise of God's glory, it's surprising, it's this. The Holy Spirit helps us by stirring us to continually praise God for his good gifts to other people. Who wants that? I just want to be blessed myself. (laughs) But yet this is a significant thing that it's important for us to understand we want to live for the praise of his glory. Verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, something God has gifted to you in the Lord Jesus Christ, and also your love for all the saints. I am so excited about your faith. I am so excited about your love. I do not cease to give thanks and praise for you. What does do not cease mean? It means he's living for the praise of God's glory continually. And part and parcel of that is being discerning about the work of God in other people and saying, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I love what you're doing. I love the salvation that happened to that person. I love the testimony of how that person got healed. I love how God used that person to help their friend or their neighbor. I love it that God provided for, you know, for Richard and his family in a tough spot. Oh, that just makes my heart glad, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This is part and parcel of what it means to live consistently to the praise of his glory. It helps us bring continuity, continuity and stability to the whole scene. If if our, if our, Stubborn determination is, like Mickelson, I'm going to live for the praise of his glory. And if, I do, if I'm getting a D-plus in it now, I'm going to get a C in it next week and an A the following week. I'm going to get better at it because God's going to help me by his spirit. And I'm going to include what worked for Paul and in the Bible, what can work for me too. I'm going to keep my eyes out to discern good things that God's doing in the lives of other people. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. What a great God you are. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, friends, this is one of the secrets. This is revelatory to your experience of a deeper living life for the praise of his glory. It is a wonderful, wonderful breakthrough opportunity for us if we'll embrace it. So don't you dare go home and say, that was a bad sermon. (laughs) And don't you go dare go home and say, oh, that was a good sermon. You go home and you say, Jesus is a good God because I met some people and talked to some people whose lives were changed and have been changed. And I revel in the fact that the love that's pervasive, I love the fact that the worship anointing in this place, it seems like every week it's, it's just more anointed and more beautiful. These are the kinds of things that will carry the day for us in our determination to live for the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit. Let's see, how can I do this? I have to figure out how to kind of summarize this a little bit more briefly. 
Um, I, I love it that even Jesus does that. Thank you for saying that. Hallelujah, he's about dead. <laughs> no, I don't know what you meant. Um, Jesus, here, here's a thought. The Apostle Paul is obsessed with praise for what's happening with other people in the face of his own four-year imprisonment. The negative things in his life didn't dominate his life. Living for the praise of God's glory did. And part of that was praising God for what was happening with his friends. Jesus did it himself. He praises the Father for the revelation that his disciples are getting. He says in Matthew 11, verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, this is after he's preaching. This is after he's already preaching and he's noticing how they're feeding on the word of God. And he gets so happy that they listen so well. You know what makes a preacher happy is when he can tell people are listening well. I can tell, also tell when you're not. <laughs> Jesus, at that time, after he'd already preached, he said, Oh, Father, I thank you, Father. Praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have your, you've revealed them to babes the people with childlike faith. Hallelujah, Father. I praise you, Lord, Father of heaven and earth. That's Jesus Christ. Excited about what God's doing in other people's lives. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit helps us by guiding us into the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Paul speaks of two good works that he is doing that the Holy Spirit has given him to do. Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And while I'm doing that, I'm making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? The Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what are Paul's two good works? One is prayer, and one is writing this letter to the Ephesians, this letter of encouragement that ultimately ended up in the Bible. These are two works that Paul was well aware that God prepared in advance for him to do. Paul is well aware that billions of years earlier, God had designed this day for Paul to write this letter to this church as a good work. My grandson Luke came over the other day to swim in our backyard pool, and I was told by grandma, or asked by grandma, (laughs) politely, to put sunscreen on him. And I said, I was putting sunscreen on him. Put too much sunscreen on him. Grandpa, it's not supposed to show. It's supposed to rub it in. I put too much sunscreen on him. I said, Luke, the sun is traveling, has traveling 93 million miles to try to give you a sunburn, and we're going to stop it milli-inches away from hitting you. 
And Paul is well aware. He says he was chosen, you know, before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the world. And you know the Bible says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. And it is the most... It is the most, one of the most sad things in, the whole, in all of the universe that God plans good works for our day, even today. And that we would put sunscreen on and say, well, it's, it's been billions of years, but we're stopping it right before it hits. So let's be open for business. And here's another blessing. In fact, I'm going to read the verse and then I'm going to wrap this up. Skipping ahead to chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. One of the, one of the most profound secrets to living with, live with consistency and continuity, to live a life that corresponds to his wonderful grace that he's given us, to live a life of good works that we were created to, to work in, is to recognize that those works are touched by heaven. They could be miraculous works, signs and wonders, a healing, a prophetic word. I could give you some examples in my own life. You've heard some of them before. But they could also be as simple as something in my own life. I found out my mailman's name and I greet him whenever I see him. And he always brightens up and cheers up to be a smile to somebody. It could be just a kind word, a word of encouragement or comfort. I had a friend that, from Astoria that ended up in the ICU yesterday, and I just sent him a, his wife and him a text of encouragement, and they, they told me it really was a blessing to them, it really a help to them. That was planned billions of years ago by God. And so, this is so important. Can you really, really discipline yourself to hear me for one more minute? Pay attention for one more minute. Tina back there. I see you smile back there. When we understand that every single good work we're doing is not just a random opportunity, but it's foreordained by God that he has gifted us with. When we do that simple good work, whether it's an amazing healing or leading someone to Christ or giving a child a cup of cold water, it's touched by heaven and comes from heaven. And with the touch of heaven comes the presence of God. And we can live in the moment for the praise of his glory. We can live in the moment for the praise of his glory because he, he brings the good work opportunities to us. Creatively, each one of us. His strategy is you in this world. And living for the praise of his glory is recognizing that we are not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. And when we understand and get that, depression just vanishes because we have purpose, we have meaning, we recognize that we're not in this world to be on vacation. No, that's difficult for some of us to hear. We are in this world strategically, strategically, to, to do a, a series of good works that bring blessing to others and heaven to ourselves in the moment, if we see it. 
I want you to see it, and I'm, not, I'm going to talk about this some more, expand on it. This is just a teaser. There's more coming about this sometime soon. Let's stand up. Pat, will you come in and give us some music? We have a team up front that will minister miracles, signs, and wonders to your personal life. They'll be right up here in ministry. I'd like you to ask that you put your hand on your heart, hands on your hearts. I know, God, that what we preach for is what we get. I'm so happy about the strengthening of New Song Church and what we're already doing well. But we're going to, because we're leaning on the Holy Spirit's help, we're going to do it all the better. All the better living for the praise of your glory, living with purpose, living with meaning, living with your presence. Thank you for what Paul learned in prison and and he decided to share it with his Ephesian friends and we're reading it today. We say hallelujah for the secret to living for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God loves you. Go out and do the stuff, okay? Thank you.